Idleman Unplugged is part of the Edify Podcast Network. I want to see your face Pass me by the crowds of people The priests who sing your praise Hello, my name is Shane Idleman, and I'm the pastor of Westside Christian Fellowship in Leona Valley, California. It is my personal heart and goal for you to see truth through a biblical perspective. I hope that you enjoy this segment of Idleman Unplugged. Hey everyone, I'm excited about this episode of Idleman Unplugged uh, slash Pastors Unplugged, since it'll definitely be something that is relatable to both groups of people. And often, you know, I ask people to send in their questions, and we'll try to get to those questions. And uh, some questions came in over the last few weeks, and even some today, kind of centering around the same theme. So I'm hoping to address that today. And of course, you can see by the the title here, I think we're going to go with something like, uh, let me see what I just sent, um, with confusion, you know, talking about uh, charismatic confusion, uh, emotionalism, worship, you know, th- things along those uh, those lines. Um, so let's, let's delve right into this. So anyway, let me answer some of these questions that came in. Maybe I'll read all the questions first, then I can tackle them later. Uh, are we believers, or as believers, we're already filled with the Holy Spirit, so sometimes when we say, you know, Lord, your presence is welcome here or talking about God's presence, um, you know, what do we mean by that? Because, um, you know, are people looking for some type of second filling or Pentecostal experience? Uh, and so, um, you know, what? actually, let me let me tackle um, that one first. And because what happens a lot of times is um, when we use language, you know, if you, you use certain language you, you think of something. So, for example, um, if John MacArthur said the presence of God and Benny Hinn said the presence of God, we're, we're going to have different thoughts there on, on what's going on uh, and what, what, are they, what are they meaning by that. And so with this word presence, um, and, and probably we don't do it justice enough um, where we will actually um, explain what we mean. What we mean by the presence of God and to clarify, God's presence is everywhere. It's called the omnipresence of God. He's everywhere. There's, there's no, you know, David, where can I, where can I go to flee your presence? You know, if I make my bed in hell, there you are. If I make, if I ascend into heaven, there you are. And the ends of the earth, and there you are. And, and so we know that God is everywhere. Um, and I like these questions. Uh, I, I think we need to have people asking questions uh, we need to take things seriously when it comes to God's word. We need to discern like the Bereans. As a matter of fact, truth invites scrutiny. And one thing you'll learn from uh, cults is they don't like you to challenge them. They don't want to sit down with the Bible. They, they no, 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 here's what we believe, and we're just going to push it on everyone else. But truth, genuine truth, it invites scrutiny. It says, let's sit down. Let's Let's talk together. Let's figure out what's going on. And so to me, this topic invites scrutiny. Hey, let's let's look at what God's word says. It's it's important. You're talking about the presence and power of God. So, when it comes to this topic about the presence of God, you have to look like we do at least. I hope most people do. You look at Scripture, so we find that God is everywhere. But we do find, like I believe it was uh, again. I didn't write down references. It's just kind of going unplugged, just sitting down on a chair on a on my on my on my sofa here, answering some of the questions. I believe it was in Exodus later chapters where um, Moses actually told the Lord, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. 
And God told him, my presence will go with you. And in other words, don't be worried. And in your presence, and we, we know that the Shekinah glory in the temple, the presence of God would, would, um, would, uh, would be a, a thick cloud of his presence and the people could not stand under his presence and, and the weight of his glory. And so, but what does that mean now in the New Testament? You know, and that's really where it would have significance because we do have the Holy Spirit within us as believers and the presence of God is very, uh, very real and tangible. And, and so here's, <clears throat> I'm going to try to sum up an hour answer in just probably 10 minutes. Um, in charismatic circles, you know, they've been conditioned to say certain things and do certain things and create such and such environment, you know, with just the right wording and the, the emotionalism, some people would say, and the, um, the camping out on worship songs or, you know, there, they, there's, there's a certain um, flavor to that. But sadly, um, the same is true with conservative churches. There's a certain expectation, a certain way we do services. We say certain things a certain way. We do certain things and we create a certain environment, no matter what type of church we're in. And believe it or not, we consider Westside Christian Fellowship, we consider to be a conservative church. Conservative meaning uh, biblical values, standing strong on God's word, the desperate need for absolute truth. But we're also open to what God is doing through his word as we look to his word and reading his word and and trying to, to the best of our ability, understand that we believe God still heals. God still sets people free. We believe that the the gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, we believe apply today. I mean, you actually have a you have a, a more difficult job explaining away those verses and why they don't apply today. I mean, I, I know John MacArthur in his study Bible uh, talks about when that which is perfect comes, that which is in part will be done away with, and we don't need these gifts anymore before, because we have the canonization of Scripture. But even John Calvin in his commentary, uh, I love that Calvin's, Calvin set on on the Bible. It's very, I really recommend that. Um, he uh, he he says well, that which is that when that which is perfect comes is Jesus Christ when he comes in his perfect state, and I agree with that because if if now that doesn't apply then we see better than Paul sees. Because Paul says, now we see through a, a glass kind of dimly, but when that which is perfect comes, we will see, you know, face to face, we'll see much better. So I don't think we see better than Paul. So I, I think those things are still valid for us today. So anyway, I want to just kind of give you a setting or a background for our church. Granted, people take it and and, and get carried away. Um, and would But wouldn't that be just like the enemy to counterfeit an original? So just like, the enemy tries to uh, um, um, confuse or counterfeit the word of God. I believe he tries to confuse people with the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. It's such a powerful doctrine that brings confusion, and then people say, "I don't want anything to do with that." And so we just have to look at the Bible for what the Bible says. That it, it the, these things are still um, available for us today. So anyway, back to this question of, I just want to set the stage of where you know I don't agree with. I, 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 we love that idea of being a conservative, Bible-believing, theology is the foundation, but we can't forget about the fire of God. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones said that preaching is theology coming through a man who is on fire, and he dedicated, as I've said before, the last chapter of his book on preaching and preachers. The last chapter of his book talks about the unction of the Holy Spirit, the dire need of the power of the Holy Spirit. So, sorry, it's taking me a minute to get to this, this question. So yes, the omnipresence of God is everywhere, but there's something 
clearly, unmistakably missing in the lives of most Christians. What is that missing ingredient? The power of the Holy Spirit, the, a mighty filling of the Holy Spirit, the baptism, the unction, whatever you want to call it, there is something missing. And what happens is when God's manifold, manifest presence, again, whatever you want to call it, when, when he fills someone mightily above and beyond the, the capacity that they normally would have when they're no longer quenching and grieving the spirit, something incredible takes place. They go from being bored to on fire for God. What is this? This is the abundant water that Christ spoke about. He who believes in me, as the scriptures say, out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. And so that's what we, when we pray, Lord, we want your presence. That's what we want. We, we're not the, not the, the omnipresence, which we know is there, but the tangible, real heartfelt presence of God that is is convicting. It's drawing people to the altar. It's restoring marriages. It's breaking the prideful heart. It's healing the person who might might have a sickness that, that could be healed that night. It's breaking the addiction. It's breaking the strongholds. And Lord, your presence is welcome in this place. God, Holy Spirit, would you come upon us? And, and the disciples, they were praying in the upper room and the Holy Spirit came upon them. Later on, they were praying and the Holy Spirit came upon them for boldness. Paul, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter, when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So I think it's very healthy uh, for us to want more of God, more of his presence. And, and God forbid we ever get to that point where we are satisfied. And I think that's what happens in many churches is, is they are satisfied and they don't know more about the fullness of the Spirit, this, this incredible work of God's Spirit in our life. So if you're wondering what I think, I don't think there's a second work of grace. I usually try not to use the word baptism of the Holy Spirit or baptizing the Spirit because that happens when a believer becomes part of the body of Christ. But there are subsequent fillings of the Holy Spirit. And if a person is dry and dead and stagnant, they need a fresh encounter with God. Hence the word revival. Wilt thou not revive us again so that we can rejoice in you and our spirit can rejoice in you? So what happens is, yeah, a lot of interesting people use the word presence of God. The presence of God is here and they're acting weird. And no, that that's not good. But there's, there, there is more. There is more in the life of most believers. Most believers don't have a river of living water flowing out of them. They have a dry, dead, stagnant water inside of them. And they become hard and callous and pride-filled and, and uh, bitter and and there's no joy and peace and love and long-suffering and gentleness and kindness and self-control. There's no fruit there because they're quenching and grieving the work of the Spirit if they are believers. Um, and also, an interesting point to consider is um, if you look over Christian, if you look at Christian history, I've read a lot of biographies. You can pick up a book called "They Found the Secret." No, it's not something on Oprah uh, or <laughs> or secular. They found the secret, um, and what that secret is about is receiving the fullness of God. So people like D.L. Moody, uh, Adonai Judson, Hudson Taylor. What about John Bunyan? Solid guy. Wrote Pilgrim's Progress in, in prison. It talks about him. George Whitfield. It talks about all these believers who were believers for years in many cases, but it wasn't until they had a, a, a just an experience with God that radically changed their life. And in all cases, 
it was it wasn't until they fully surrendered and they got their hearts right before God. D.L. Moody was a, a Bible teacher, a good pastor, but nothing that we hear about today. Same with John Bunyan, same with Wesley, same with Whitfield. Even in my own life, it wasn't until I had this incredible counter with God and this this filling of the Holy Spirit that I that I I, I, my lukewarmness now was no longer lukewarm. It was fire for God. So that's when people say, Lord, your presence is welcome here. Holy Spirit, come. You know, we're, it's obvious we know that God's omnipresence is everywhere. And, but we're asking for a deeper, more intimate work of your spirit, which is thoroughly biblical and thoroughly based on not only biblically speaking, but church history and uh, bears this out. Any type of revival uh, that would happen throughout church history. You know, God would pour out his spirit upon the believers. I mean, think about this. A case could be made. Uh, I'm assuming that these uh, believers before the upper room were believers. I believe J. Vernon McGee, J. Vernon McGee, and even possibly John MacArthur and others think that when Jesus breathed on them before this experience in Acts, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. They would say that that was just a um, like a deposit on them or something that would happen later. I, I don't believe that. I believe they received the Holy Spirit. They were believers, but the Holy Spirit did not come upon them. And you can actually look in the Greek. There's prepositions. The Holy Spirit alongside of you is P-A-R-A, para. And then the Holy Spirit in you is E-N. And then when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it is epi, E-P-I. It's an overfilling, overflowing overwhelming response of God's spirit to a humble, broken person. So that's what we mean when we say, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Holy Spirit, come my presence. Lord, we want your presence here. We want your manifest presence where people feel uh, and, and the, the, the tangible presence of God. They are shaken at their core. They are encouraged. They are healed. There might be tears. There might be incredible, uh, 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 significant moves of God's spirit uh, happening and that's not comfortable. It's it's not it's not really convenient many times, and that's why I think a lot of believers don't experience why a lot of churches don't experience it because they're not open for God to really move. And if you're not open for it, God's not going to really move. Now within that, you have to steward that environment, and that's where it becomes difficult. So again, I I lean on the side of being conservative, and you know, but God, hey, have your way in this place. But at the same time, we have to steward that environment and make sure that um uh, that we are honoring god in all that we that we do and say so uh anyway let me look at another question that came in while you're there holding uh or not there holding but you know what i mean uh let's see here okay when it comes to um worship music um let me see if i can find the exact the exact question here um oh that there's another question too um, revival comes through preaching the word and it's a work of the Lord. It's not us, um, making it happen. Um, which is absolutely correct. I would not disagree at all. Um, but you know, you have like Charles Finney, he wrote his book on revival and then you have other people reading, writing books on revival. And of course you just look at the Bible. You don't have to read a lot of other books, but I love reading books on spiritual awakenings and revival. So I think I can speak into this um, question a little bit because, um, you know, we, we desire revival and we, need, we, and we believe that we need it. Um, but revival comes through preaching. It's a work of God. It's not making it happen. And so probably what the person's talking about is like, you know, all this talk of 
Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. God's presence, revival, revival. Why, you know, what are you doing? Why are you, what's all this talk about it? You know, God will come when he comes at the preaching of his word. Now, here's, here's, here's a couple things, thoughts on that. That is absolutely true. You can't um, make a revival happen any more than you can make corn grow on the stock. Correct? I think we can all agree on that. But you can prepare the soil for that corn. So when the rain comes, it is ready. You can plant the seed for the corn. So when, when, the, when the water comes, the corn grows, it is ready. The seed is planted. The soil is ready. And now you've prepared the soil. So in the same way, you can prepare the heart for revival. God, through the prophets, he'd say, break up your fallow ground, uh, fallow ground, however you want to pronounce that. Basically, you'd remove the stones, you'd remove the, the weeds, you'd remove the rocks and, and break it up. So, so now that the, the soil is ready for the rain and you can have an abundant harvest. So correct. We can't work revival down, but I, I guarantee you uh, churches that are dead, churches that are apathetic, churches that are are shying away from the moving of the Holy Spirit, churches that are not preparing for a work of God through praying and fasting, maybe uh, having prayer meetings, having services where God is just waiting on God and honoring God and, and praying for revival. They will not experience it. That I can guarantee you. So you can't work it up, but God can bring it down. Any revival throughout church history, they have all been started, actually, believe it or not, not from the pulpit, but from the prayer closet. So revival starts as men and women are touched by the power of God. They are broken before God. They are fasting. Call a sacred, call a sacred assembly, call a fast, uh, cry out to God. And as God's people are crying out to him, wilt thou not revive us again that we may rejoice in you? God hears the cries of his, the desperate cries of his children. And through the preaching of his word, his word is being honored. So sin, sinners are being converted uh, believers are repenting the, the pure, give us pure hearts and a, give us pure hands and a clean heart. And, and God is, 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 is doing heart surgery because the preaching of his word is going up. So in, in, in the, in the fact, in the sense you can't, you know, make God bring revival and you can't, um, you know, use all these, you know, weird things or getting, you know, Pentecostal experiences or, or looking for these, um, you know, this, this odd stuff and okay, now God's going to honor this odd stuff. No, not at all. But again, you can prepare the soil of the heart of the church. And then God, what revival is, is basically the, at, at the heart, God is reviving his church. He's bringing, he's bringing life to some, something that is spiritually dead, but you have to want it and desire it. The more you seek him, the more you find him. And from that seeking and from that, like a deer panting after the water brook, so my soul pants after thee, God begins to revive a parched and dry and dead soul. And so my concern is the very thing we need in this nation is the very thing we are running from, that being revival. And it will come through brokenness and humility. And I can testify to this because um, even now we are ex we are experiencing a definitely a measure of revival at our church where, where just the lives that are being changed are, are unlike anything we've ever seen before. Now with that comes the enemy, comes demonic interruptions, comes 
things that are done out of order sometimes and you've got to correct those and, and steward those. And But at the heart of all of that is a desire for men and women to want to seek the heart of God. So, um, and back to that idea on the presence of God, I, I don't think it's a, a second work of grace. We don't necessarily teach that. Uh, I believe you have all of the Holy Spirit at conversion, but does he have all of you? I will tell you without a shadow of a doubt, this is the number one need in the church today for believers is this mighty filling of the Holy Spirit that many, many, many never experience. Our pulpits are dead. Our churches are dying because people are not filled mightily with the Spirit of God. And it begins with full surrender. Surrender everything. Surrender my arrogance, my bitterness. Because you know we can get really arrogant in the church, don't you? Well, I know this about this, and I have sound doctrine, and I'm a modern-day Pharisee, and God, boy, you've got your reward. God will not fill a proud vessel because you're already full of yourself. See, the filling of the Spirit comes upon an empty vessel, somebody who is emptied of themselves. And God is, boy, I'm, I'm a work in progress. Let me tell you, I've not mastered it, but God has broken me over the years. And especially when you get, you know, you get really dogmatic about certain doctrines, you know, on pre-tribulation and and premillennial and post this and, and, and this is my dogma. This is my doctrine. I'm going to argue over it. And you can really lose the love of the spirit in that. Uh, and you, and you, you become prideful and, and God, you begin to quench and grieve the spirit, other doctrines, you know, that are out there and Calvinists. And, you know, when I have studied that thoroughly with the total depravity, unconditional <clears throat> election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. And many of those points I can gravitate towards, but the Bible doesn't teach an ism. It teaches God is sovereign and man is held responsible to repent and believe. Let God sort that out. But when we take a, uh, you know, and, and I remember reading Martin Luther in his uh, great work on the bondage of the will with, um, uh, who was he debating? I think that was to um, uh, Erasmus. Oh no, that was, uh, that was uh, Augustine. Yeah, it was Augustine and Pelagian and then Luther and Erasmus and the debate and the bondage of the will. The reason it's a debate is because um, the Bible teaches that God is sovereign and man is held responsible for his choices. So that's why they're debatable. That's why great men of God are divided. And so you better be careful when you take a hard line stance, because what that can often produce is a very rigid, arrogant approach to Christianity where God wants to break us and humble us so we can be full of his spirit. And of course, other doctrines that are out there, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and you know, you can have a strong stance and and just be careful. It's undergirded with love and grace. And so the point is most people are not receiving more of God's spirit because of pride and because of there's a hardness in their heart. And so what happens is in D.L. Moody's case, uh, I would say in my case, uh, Adrian Rogers to um, Adonijah Judson, Hudson Taylor, Whitfield, Wesley. Um, if you read that book, you know, it, it goes into a lot of detail. But what happens is when I fully repent. Even as a believer, I repent of my hard heart. I re repent of my pride. I, re I, rep I repent of only giving Jesus some of my life and only giving God some of my time. And when I repented of all that and God broke me, I was completely filled and immersed with his spirit. Uh, joy followed. The word of God became alive. Worship was sweet to my soul. And to me, it seemed like, was I even converted in the first place? I mean, was I really a Christian? Because this change was so dramatic, so impactful, that it really made me think, gosh, was I ever really saved? Even I, I was, I was just quenching and grieving the spirit, going through the motion. So 
That's why people call it a second work of grace uh, or a second filling or a Pentecostal experience. That's why they call it that because it's so trans, it, it so transforms your life um, that you get in, get into God like never before, this deeper experience with God that you wonder, what was that all about? Yes, something dramatically happened to my life. So was this a second work of grace? And really it's not. Really it's a person fully surrendering. Again, you have all the Holy Spirit, but does he have all of you? So on that note, a a question comes in often. I see it on my Facebook thread with different people. um, And I don't blame them at all. I mean, I have these same questions at all. I appreciate, here's the key. We appreciate questions. I actually love questions. I love constructive criticism, but 90% of the time it doesn't come from the right heart. You know, like on Facebook, somebody will post something and, oh, great. Yeah, I'd love to, you know, they don't want to interact with you. They're not, they're not curious in learning your thoughts. They just want to argue, especially I love that email that comes in. Um, You know, what, what Bible translation are you using when you preach? Well, History tells me that this person is not curious what Bible translation I use. They want to debate uh, and they want to, you know, just promote King James only. And I love the new King James. And I don't want to get into Texas Receptus, received text, Alexandrian text, formal, diquiv- formal equivalents, dynamic equivalents of translating the tr- text. You know, been there, done that. Uh, there's some great translations out there. So um, anyway, my point is we love questions. I think it's good if a heart is genuinely seeking, it's good to, to help and answer questions and realize I don't have all the answers. You know, I, I, I don't have things down perfectly. Nobody has perfect theology because we all differ on the non-essentials in some degree. That's what I mean. We should have good theology, perfect theology on the non-essentials, but the non the, on the essentials, but on the non-essentials, you know, there's gotta be a little bit of grace. So anyway, um, let's see here. Um, why are some worship songs uh, sung repeatedly or why do some of your songs last 10 minutes are they designed to bring me to tears um and i don't need this to bring me to tears and have reverence for the lord um you know god can can do in a couple seconds you know just crying out to god uh he can do in a couple seconds what you know it seems like we're taking 10 20 30 minutes to do um now granted people love worship songs of course um but what is what is the thought behind all of this uh talk about emotional worship uh, camping out at a song, long songs. Um, so let me see if I can, you know, again, this would take, I really wish I had some time to to just delve into a lot of scriptures and do a podcast on this alone. But I do have some thoughts um, because, a per, you know, you're right. Why is a song 10 minutes or 15 minutes? Or there's, you know, some I listen to, I like to listen to for 18 minutes or 20 minutes, you know, hitting rewind. and But before I answer this, I, I guess I would throw that question back why does a song need to be four minutes and 32 seconds? Why, why do the songs at our worship services need to be three minutes and 52 seconds? The next song is four minutes, 18 seconds. The next song is four minutes, 23 seconds. And then this song is exactly four minutes. And then we should be done at this time. Then the pastor can come up at this time. Why, why is that the standard? That doesn't make sense to me either. I mean, because see, here's the key. It's not on the minutes of the song, it's on the devotion of the worshiper. And so I've noticed when, when God turned me into a worshiper, you know, you have to remember, I came out of a, a, a hard construction background, you know, boy, you don't cry, you know, kind of a man's man, 
from my dad and his grandpa coming from Oklahoma and, you know, hard guys where you would work hard for a living. Uh, you would get dirty, you would get messy. Um, you know, those, those that my grandpa lived in the World War II generation, you know, so I came from that. So I'm not in this sappy emotionalism. But let me just tell you from my own heart, when I'm worshiping God, um, I'm not in a hurry. I know that's not what people are saying. So don't get me wrong. I'm just trying to fully exhaust this here mentally. So I'm not in a hurry. So I'm not thinking, you know, singing worthy is the lamb, holy, holy is you God, are you Lord? And okay, hope this is over in four minutes and we go to the next song. You know, I'm not, I'm not thinking that I can, I can, I can just stay camped out there. It really is, it really is a gauge of my spiritual hunger. And the reason I say that is when I went to church in my younger years, in my, my twenties, I, I was like, okay, let's get through this song. Let's get through this next song. Why are they, why are they just camping out here? Uh, this is kind of boring. And that does happen in the secular world. You know, you're not going to, you're going to listen to a George Strait song for you country music lovers and four minutes or so you're like, okay, let's get to the next one. And then you, uh, you rappers, you like, uh, 50 cent. Well, hope, hopefully you're not listening to that, listening to this, but you know, or Lecrae. Um, well, again, I'm talking about secular. So let me see the rappers and the, and the you know, they're, they're ready to get on to the next song, you know, or NF, if you're a Christian, he's a Christian rapper, a POD was popular when I was, okay, let's get on the next song. And then, you know, if you like jazz or you like, okay, let's get on the next song. But when it comes to worshiping and you're with the Lord, um, you know, sometimes they might just hang out on a guitar strand for, for a couple minutes. Holy, holy are you Lord. We worship you in the beauty of holiness. Holy, holy is our God. And it's just a, a moment to worship and it's a time to worship. So can it drag out too long? Yeah, of course. But can it be too quick? I think so. I, I think many of our services are too quick nowadays. And again, who said who said to do three songs, a quick some announcements and another song and then a quick sermon? I mean, who who told us that's the standard? Now on the flip side, a person can be in the audience and just cry out, God, I need you, but God, meet me in this situation and and that God hears their tears and and their request is over. It's done. There's no music, there's no need for um a long song, a long stanza. So I guess my challenge would be, why does a person feel uncomfortable if a song does go long? Why would we immediately throw that in the category of emotionalism? Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure, even though we weren't there, that in the early church, when they would meet in a home and they would sing the Psalms, I, 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 can, I can picture some, some, of those, some of those women just, just kind of, you know, just crying out to God and oh Lord and holy holy is your is your is your word holy spirit you're welcome here and there's just a there's just a reverence there's just awe there's a a taking it in there's a because worship can't be um uh hurried through you can't you can't um work your way through worship quickly um uh, so that's that's where the the challenge is um i think you know when my heart is is seeking God and in, in, in worship. We won't want to worship for a while. And but again, gauging the atmosphere, you can go too long, but you can also rush it. Um, and I've noticed over the years, again, I'm not saying this has anything to do with the people asking questions. I've got different questions ca that came in, but I've noticed over the years that often those people who don't like, let's say, heartfelt worship, longer worship. I mean, I, I think I've, I've got 20 names, 20 faces come to mind when I say this over the years is <clears throat> there's an element of a hard heart in them. There's, there's a hardness. 
they're kind of critical. They've got a critical spirit. They're, they're kind of rough. Uh, they're kind of, you know, you know, pounding the pulpit. It's all about the truth. It's all about theology. And, and I can see these people in my mind's eye. And, and, and it's sad because their complaint really is a complaint against their own heart. Why, why do we have, why, why is worship 40 minutes long? Why do we have to sing that song? Why are these people crying at the altar? And, and I just feel bad for them because their hard heart is pre- preventing them from the fullness of the spirit. Um, but I do, I did make a few points. I wanted to, to clarify on that. Um, let me see if I can scroll up here. Uh, and yeah, I wrote down revival is not predictable. Uh, and we can't really define it. All we can do is prepare our hearts, prepare the church for it. And we know that it's our only hope and we're not going to experience it unless we're open to what God is doing. Um, and let's see here. Uh, yeah, I think we covered most of the questions that came in on that topic. Um, again, please understand my heart. My heart more than anything else is to honor God. Uh, it's not to get emotional, believe it or not. I don't want to go into church and just cry to cry. I don't want to just camp out at a 10 minute song just to do it. Uh, it's actually painful if, you know, God's really not moving among his people. Uh, it's, it's, and that's why I think many churches just do shorter songs and just a quick service is because they're missing that power and presence of God. And once you capture that, for example, I can't remember the night, but, uh, you know, we've got some great worship leaders. I could list, list a lot of them right now, but if they're there on, on a piano or keys or guitar, and they're just, they're just, you know, they're just saying, worthy are you Lord. Holy, holy is his name. Worthy is the Lord God Almighty. Lord, you're a welcome here. Holy Spirit, change us and break us tonight. Lord, I'm a, I'm a lover of your presence. And, and you're just, it, it's, it's hard to explain, but who, who that is filled with the Spirit, who is going to want to rush through that? The Holy Spirit's not in a hurry. The Holy Spirit's not limited by, by time. But unless my knees are hurting, unless the you know, that I have to use a restroom, maybe somebody does, or get a drink of water or, you know, um, but granted, you, you can't, you can't just, oh, let's just sit here for 20 minutes and make something happen. No, that doesn't work either. You know, you, it's got to, it really has to come from the heart. So what I've noticed over the years, 20 years now, uh, 12 years of pastoring, 20 years of ministry is those who have, have had a transforming, life altering, life shaking experience with God via the Holy Spirit, filling them, transforming them, giving them a hunger for more of him, those people um, have a heart for worship and they are wor- worshiping and, and they don't they don't ask me these questions a lot of times. Now again, I'm not saying you know anybody asking questions is not filled with the spirit. absolutely not. I think the charismatic and Pentecostal churches have done a lot of damage to the doctrine of the Holy Spirit and pneumatology, the study of the Holy Spirit. And I think well-meaning people, even myself, have questions. I've gone to churches where, you know, worship's an hour long and people are just, mm, it's just not right. You know, I just don't, I don't feel it. I don't get it. And so I understand that. I, my heart, my heart aches for that type of environment and wants that type of environment. And I can relate to some of these questions, but my challenge is, to take it to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, Pastor Shane laid all this out. What are you saying to me in this? What, what can I learn from this? What can I glean from this? Can I, can I have that deeper experience that I know 
many believers do not have. I want to be like that deer that pants after the the brook and my soul pants after thee. Oh God, would you fill me? God, if there's pride preventing me from the fullness of your spirit, would you show me? If I'm if I'm all about the word and not about worship, Lord, would you show me? Have I become straight as a gun barrel, Lord? But am I just as empty? Lord, show me. And and I believe God can use this podcast, can use these 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 convicting topics to to draw us closer to him. I know he does that in my own heart as well. So anyway, I hope I hope this cleared up some confusion out there um, of the questions that have been coming in on emotionalism and charismania and the baptism of the spirit revival, you know, all those, it's interesting. All those terms that are controversial are thoroughly biblical. For example, you look at the word charismatic. It comes from the word charisma, which comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, bestowing spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit will bestow spiritual gifts. That's not a bad thing. Uh, Pentecostalism comes from the word Pentecost when Jesus filled his disciples on the day of Pentecost. Not a bad thing. Revival has a word, has a, many people think of, of weirdness uh, and, and um, oh, it's just, I don't know, just strange things and revival and you know, you're trying to work up all these things. Actually, they would pray, God, would you not revive us again that we may not, would you not revive us again that we can experience your power, experience your presence? Well, Shane, what about emotionalism? Well, aren't emotions good and God-given? Thank God for emotions. When you have your baby, when a child accomplishes something and, and when, when something is reconciled, and thank God for emotions. So, wouldn't it make sense that we would have the greatest, deepest, most impactful emotions toward our Savior? So what, what happens, I think, is we, we say, well, that's just emotionalism. What the person often, not all the times, but what a person often is saying is, I'm not experiencing that. And instead of humbling myself, I'm going to write it off. I'm going to make excuses and I'm going to call it emotionalism so I no longer have to deal with this conviction in my own heart. And so that's what happens with these terms is we try to put a bad label on these terms when really they can be great terms because they're, they're Bible terms that explain a powerful work of God's spirit. So anyway, hope that helps. If you have any questions, as always, uh, shoot us an email. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode of Idleman Unplugged, be sure to send us your ideas and topics for future episodes of the podcast. You can send us an email at westsidechristianfellowship.org or shaneidleman.com. Again, my name is Luke Duncan, and I am your host of Idleman Unplugged. Thank you for listening to us today, and join us again on the next episode. Thank you for listening to Eidelman Unplugged. For more information, visit us at shaneidelman.com. Again, that's shaneidelman.com. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app.
El Paseo Publications proudly supports the Westside Christian Fellowship Radio Network. We are committed to quality in Christian publication. Free ebooks can be found at westsidechristianfellowship.org under free ebooks. Books such as What Works for Men and What Works for Young Adults will help readers understand that the obstacles ahead are never greater than God's power to take you through. Books such as What Works When Diets Don't and Feasting and Fasting demonstrate how health can be achieved from a biblical perspective. Other free books such as Answers for a Confused Church and Desperate for More of God show the importance of fully surrendering our lives to Christ. And One Nation Above God is a must-read for anyone concerned about the direction of America. Again, free downloads of these ebooks are available at westsidechristianfellowship.org. We are happy about partnering with the Westside Christian Fellowship Radio Network.